Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. It's to do with the Reformation, so I've got an eye on everyone here to make sure there's no dropping eyelids. Not enough of you to hide. Um, but I've been allowed to do a slight digression today. So the title of the talk is Mind Your Head. Next up. And that's a picture of what you should be wearing. And it's really about your thought life, about thinking. I think there's a famous statue about someone thinking, and that's going to come up. That's August Rodin's statue. Not a very good picture, I, I confess, but I got that off the internet. But I do recommend that when you think, you put your clothes on, because one, it's chilly, and if you're in a, a sun, sunny area, you get sunburn. So, but I do recommend thinking. Now, I say we are capable of some of the silliest things to say and to think, aren't we? Uh, I was at a ruby wedding, and I was looking at a picture, and there was a picture of me, and I said, do you know, that must be nearly 40 years ago. Penny dropped yet? A ruby wedding is 40 years ago. (laughs) So you can be capable of some of the silliest ideas. One of the ideas at the moment, I think in years to come, will be thought of one of the silliest ideas, and I'll come into that later, and that is evolution. That's a shock, I know, but I do think if you look at it, it gets sillier and sillier. But what does God say about our minds and our thought world? What we need to do is do a bit of thinking. How does this, though, fit into the whole idea of the Reformation? Am I just digressing and doing what I want to do today? But no, really, in essence, the Reformation is about a person who said that the way people were thinking was wrong. And that is Martin Luther. Picture Martin Luther's up on the screen. He was a professor of theology, and 500 years ago to this year, he published 95 theses on the errors that were then being practiced by the church. Some of those errors included that you could pay money to be let off for some of the sins. They were called indulgences. Another thing was this idea of purgatory, that there was this in-between state where you got purged of your sins. In other words, if in this life you were a real rogue and you weren't going to do anything about it, you could get it off during purgatory. And actually, you got remission from purgatory, again, by things that you could do, particularly for the church, and giving the church money. A very good way of fundraising, really, when you think about it, um, but it's not recommended, personally. Another of their, their things that they were doing was that they were selling clerical offices. So if you wanted to be a minister, you basically paid for that, whereas uh, that is clearly something wrong. The other thing that was happening was the it's a phrase that's called sacerdotalism. It's basically putting the priesthood in a very high position, that they were the in-betweens, that people like you and me here needed this person to go to in order to get to God. Whereas actually scripture says clearly that there is the priesthood of believers. The idea of selling indulgences actually smacks at the heart of our faith. Christ's death. God dying was the purchase. 
and how talk about pieces of silver given in exchange for what God had done. It was offensive. But this shouldn't be seen to be an attack on the Catholic Church alone because we are very capable uh, in other church streams of doing silly things ourselves. I don't know if any of you remember Todd Bendley. I think still he has a ministry at the moment. And he gave fantastical accounts of how he was communing with angels. Some of his uh, performances we've seen, they were absurd. At the same time, he was carrying out an inappropriate relationship with another woman and disregarding his own marriage. So we can go into a way of thinking that's completely perverse and we'll justify it. I don't know if anyone remembers Jim Backer. Listen to this. <laughs> he was uh, eventually done uh, for criminal charges for things that he'd done. He and his associates sold lifetime memberships which would entitle you to a three-night stay every year at a luxury hotel. And every time you got one of these, it was $1,000. Tens of thousands of these were sold. But there was only one 500-room hotel ever built. <laughs> so beware. You can fall into error even though you might have a Christian ministry. One of the things that um, concerns things that are wrong in the way of thinking is the modern way of looking at creation. There you'll see a well-known picture the essence of creation is actually God's relationship with us. But the picture we have in modern-day Britain and most of the world, particularly the academic world, is a very different picture. And I'll read you an account of the way things are thought about. This is the way people think. Originally there was a dense concentration of matter which exploded, the Big Bang. As this material moved through the surrounding space, it gradually condensed into stars. These then collected into groups to form galaxies. Some of these stars, the suns, developed planets which circled them, and on some of them, conditions were such that life could arise. One of them was this planet, and as it cooled, water condensed. And then lightning discharges, by chance, created complex molecules. Different molecules combined in such a way that they formed a primitive type of life, which could duplicate itself. Further combinations resulted in cells, which in turn gave rise to creatures. These creatures, in their quest for food, adapted to various conditions, and eventually plants and animals appeared. The highest of these was man. The whole process took millions and billions of years, but as evolution is continuously developing, some superior form of man will eventually appear. However, there are many hardships as evolution is a random process involving trial and error, and only those who are fitted to the environment tend to survive. But that is basically what people are taught. It's taught at schools, it's taught at universities. But just give this some thought. How does something come from nothing? 
Come. Let's read something. Conditions for life. It's circular reasoning. We know life exists, and therefore you, you, you create this concept that the conditions have to be right for it, but it's here. All we know is it's here. Then this idea that lightning, by a strike, can cause a combination of chemicals that can form the basic building blocks of life. There was this famous experiment called the Miller-Urey experiment. I was taught it at school. But that experiment doesn't produce even the basic building blocks of life because there are the, the molecules are arranged in two types. They have to be either left-handed or right-handed. And the, uh, this electrical experiment created both. The building block of life is all left-handed. The, ex the experiment that happened, that they don't tell you, is the moment it happened, it, it immediately reverses. In other words, it's not a stable thing. So the, all these are grappling at finding a solution of the fact that God created us. Then they go on to say how simple life is. Did you know that the simplest life form is more complicated than New York City? The idea of ongoing improvement in life, that we are reaching some high state. One of the basic fundamentals of physics is the law of entropy, that things degenerate. And did you know that mitochondria, DNA, degenerates? There's a fault in every six generations. We are aware of this because it's in the news at the moment about genetic engineering. They're trying to repair faulty genes in us. Just think, if we had existed as long as they said, we would be a mess. It's more likely we've only existed within 10,000 years because that's the level of degeneration they're picking up to date. Then the survival of the fittest. If you only have to watch Attenborough on his wonderful photography, but his ideas are different. Survival of the fittest is tautologous, a nice word that means... It doesn't mean anything because it's completely, utterly circular. It means, if I'm here, I must be the fittest because I've survived. <laughs> so, and then there's the idea that something can be created that is so complicated. There's this so-called infinite money monkey theorem that if you give a monkey enough time to type, it'll produce an encyclopedia. And that's probably the same chances of life, even in its simplest form, created by chance. Anyway, that, that's perhaps a little digression. I've been commissioned to, permission to give. But it also is about our thought world. Something that's important about our thought world is that it actually is to do with how we worship and how we understand. I'm just reading from... Um, John Piper's book. John Piper was mentioned last week by John as you were speaking. And he says this, the apex, that's the height, of glorifying God is enjoying him with the heart. But this, but this is empty emotionalism where that joy is not awakened and sustained by true views of God for who he really is. That is mainly what the mind is for. In other words, our minds are there to feed our true understanding of who God is as we come to worship him. It's often said that one of the dangers in, Christen, in the way Christians 
do it is that I can either get too emotional or too wordy, but it's a perfection that God wants us to use our minds so that we can think and use them. So, one or two just practical things to go through. I've, I've written out a, a list of them, and I'll just go through them very quickly. When we look at something, when we read something, I think the first thing to do is to pray. Psalm 119 says, Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things out of your law. Then read. We know how important reading is. I was thinking of what Timothy was told. But you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And from, that, and from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. This was someone who read. He was also told by Paul to think, consider what I say. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So there's pray, read, think. Then there's others as well. There's ponder, consider the purpose of what you're reading in Scripture, and then let Scripture examine us. I love the psalm. Psalm 119 is a psalm. It's one of the longest psalms. It's dedicated to looking at God's word in various ways. How I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Though through your commandments, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from doing evil, that I may keep your word. Considering Scripture's purpose, last week we had an examination of uh, what Paul wrote to Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. One back. Go back. Should be there. No, I read it out. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The idea about this is that in every scripture there is a particular set of meanings that you can draw out of it. One of the things that you could do is actually meditate on scripture. What you, you can do is look at it, you can answer, ask yourself questions about it. In this one, for example, and as John was saying last week, Scripture has a teaching in it, it has a doctrine, it has something that kind of corrects our life or it reproves us. It's there just to put us in the right direction when we're going the wrong direction. It's for correction and then it shows us the way we should live our lives. It's there for instruction in righteousness. Then the other thing is about Scripture is it, let it examine us. And that's Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit 
and of joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, for all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must to give account. It's one of the dangers of studying theology. So if you go to certain colleges, and I was at one of them, they're there to put man's mind on what Scripture says. Okay, we can apply our thinking, but the primary purpose of Scripture is to put God's mind into our thinking, that we're aware of the way God thinks. But this also allows me to think about what John and Sarah are going to do. Now, John is going to study. We are not discouraged from studying. That we're there, We are, in fact, encouraged in Scripture to look at it, examine it, and give it all our thought. We are told to worship God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And that's one thing that John will be doing. And his college isn't one that... Uh, tries to debunk scripture. There's something called higher criticism, which came in from the late uh, from the mid 1980s. I think it began in Germany, and it pervaded a lot of the theological co- colleges. And they spend all their time trying to show that scripture has different origins and it's not inspired by God. One of the things about when you read scripture is about asking yourself questions. So I've just read out a passage. It's from Matthew 7. And it's the one where Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for prayers, will give him stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Why is the word therefore in it? In verse 12. Because we often read the first bit, don't we? But the thing about this teaching is it's also about our behavior. It's not us, you know, expecting God to give us the things. It's about how we relate to other people so that we too should be generous. We should also be open to be there to supporting other people. So that's one of the things that you, you wouldn't think about if you just skim read. So it's not a bad thing, just sometimes to concentrate on a little bit and to say, why is that there? Questions are often asked, uh, particularly if you're, say, doing Bible meditation. Bible meditation, you take a verse. Has anyone got scripture cards? Anyone seen these little cards? Uh, one of these cards contains a scripture. This goes back to, it shows how old I am. It leads back to the navigators. Navigators were a group of Christians, particularly working in universities, and one of their things was memorizing scripture. So you were encouraged by a little leather wallet in which had some cards. And one of the great things about this is when you have missed that train and there is 20 minutes to do and you haven't got a newspaper and you forgot your book, you can go through these cards. You can use your time. 
So it's not a bad thing just to have a little habit. But one of the things you could do is, as you go through a scripture, you ask the questions. Why? Who? What? Where? And the idea of that is just to get out of scripture some other meaning that you wouldn't necessarily find in it, as you just look at it, maybe just read it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't just read scripture, and I'm not asking you to do the, suggesting that we all do this all the time, because... Uh, you would never get through the Bible on that basis. You would have only ended chapter 1 of Genesis after a month. But you could, if you wanted to, go through chapter 1 of Genesis as well as reading it another way at the same time. So as you meditate on a verse, you could go through it and you could say, ask it the questions, you can chew on each word, and you could even memorize it because it does come in handy. Um, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. It's not a bad thought to be carrying in your mind when you're going through a tough time. You know, we all have a very difficult time at li- with life. This is a fallen world. There's an enemy out there. So it's just the idea that we can have something to uh, prepare us. And we could protect the thought world. deleted. I don't know how I did that. I was probably being too keen with the um, buttons on that one. 2 Corinthians 10. I think I said a superscript or something. I clicked something else. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand therefore, and one of those is, and take on the helmet of salvation. Well, I said mind your head, didn't I? So there we go. Finding God's wisdom. In Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let no one deceive himself, for if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age. Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. It's not saying that science is something to be disregarded, that study is something to be disregarded. It's really here, homing in on the ideas people have of pleasing God. If you travel around the world, you often see temples. And these temples are an expression of how people thought to please God. But in some of them, for example, you'll find a place where a child was sacrificed. And that, that is clearly a wrong way of thinking about God. Paul goes on to say... 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of his world? For since the, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. A good way to think, Philippians 4. This is one of those lovely verses which just says about how our thought life can be constructed. Brethren, whatever, you, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, and if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on them. And finally, as we come to an end, we do this with humility. It reminds me of the story in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus spoke about two people who'd gone to the temple to pray. One of them's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. And the Pharisee said, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people. God, extortioners, adulterers, even this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes for all that I possess. The tax collector, standing afar off, wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In a sense, there but by the grace of God go I. So we can't say as Christians we should exalt ourselves in the way we think. It's by God's pure grace he allows us into his thought world, into his way of thinking. So in summary, love God's word. If there was anything that I'd like you to think about coming out of today is a chapter a day of Proverbs will keep you from the psychiatrist. In it, there are some wonderful pieces of advice. I'll just read you from one, from chapter, 20, chapter 6. My son, if you become surety for your friend, that is, are you pledge, you've given him a guarantee for his debts, basically. If you've shaken hands in pledge for a stranger and you've been snared in your words by what you've done, do this. Whatever you do, go out, humble yourself and plead to be let off. Don't let any sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, get out of that trap. That's very practical advice. I'm a lawyer. I can see uh, where people get into traps. You know, they, give, they basically get, get into situations where they become, they indemnify other people for the failings. And it's basically could bankrupt them. And it's easily done. And the other thing, I'm, the other thoughts are love God's word, feed on it. And the other thing, the final thought is, to be sceptical of ideas which oppose scripture, but with humility. So some homework really is just really to think about what we've been looking at today, apply it to ourselves. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but far from perfect, but it's the idea that we can use scripture to speak to us in our lives, in our thought worlds, and to let that helmet, that hard hat, as I began it by saying, it's mind your head. Thank you. Thanks, mine. Um, <clears throat> I think that was great. I think there's a little gentle challenge in there for us. And um, 
I think, you know, the word of God, we know the power of it. We know the impact it has on our lives when we allow it to kind of keep us in the right path and to um, kind of correct us and also just to kind of bring, bring life, God's life. And so um, I think there's a challenge there for us to take. And I, I guess it, I think it would be good just to take a moment as we were reading through some of those scriptures, I just felt like, wow, it's just kind of recorrecting my mind a little bit. Um, and so wherever, our, wherever we are in our relationship with the Bible, and this is not meant to be a condemnation. This is not meant to be like, oh, I haven't read my Bible for two weeks, or I'm not reading it every day. But we know the power and the impact it has on our lives, and so we have to allow it to do that in our lives because it's for our good. So let's take a moment and just think about what's been said to us this morning before we leave for today. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.